0: We begin at verse 17 in Ephesians chapter 1. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and was the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, and power, and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him to be head over all things of the church. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of God for the people of God. And I want to point something out to you as we begin looking this morning in Ephesians chapter 1 that it says that the power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power working in us, and that power that raised him from the dead sat him down at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, where he is now seated. And when Stephen was martyred, he saw Christ, and he was seated. When he saw him, he saw Christ stand and welcome him home as he gave his life as a martyr for Christ. And and that's a good thing to know that Christ is seated at the right hand of Heavenly Father. But it says that the same power that's working in Him is working in us. And if you look a little ahead into chapter 2, verse number... Six, it says that power which is in us raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. So where He is, we are. When Jesus Christ gave His high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, He said, Father, that where I am, they may be also. This is my prayer. He wants us with Him. This morning, we're going to see how His presence affects us. I want to bring a short overview for those who uh, like to be in a sequential movement of time in our lives and we like to put things in this proper place and setting. So I'm going to do a brief overview of where we've been so far in our P Word series under our Turning 180 series. And the Christmas season really lends itself to today's message. Now what I want to share with you that we've been talking about is our comfort zones, that we don't grow there. The mindsets we established early in our lives get confirmed a few times, and and then our sense of reality sets in. And I've been using this black file box to represent our brain, our experiences, our mind, and all the different shades, colors of our memories and Experiences all go in this box and it, it creates what we believe is true about the world, ourselves, people. Everything is inside of our mind and that's what we live out. When God comes in, He wants to rewrite those pages. A lot of those pages have sin written all over them. Brokenness, unworthiness, shame. And those things are our comfort zones. God's trying to get us out of them and change us. Unfortunately for us, that is comfortable. Even though it's distorted, it's not godly in its true essence anymore. Because it's been tarnished, God wants to restore a right spirit within us. So the Holy Spirit will start meddling in our lives. In what we think and what we know is true, and in an attempt to get us to be more Christ-like. In other words, He challenges our complacency with what we believe is true about our lives and the world. Now, the first P word we looked at was purpose, and it's not that you have a purpose, it's that God does. And you fit His purpose for you. Not your purpose for you, but God's. And He determines your value and significance because of that. Now, what that means is each moment in your life is a moment that God can do something great and miraculous. You can anticipate that He will. And you live your life with expectancy that you will see God do something amazing even if nobody else around you notices it. And after we talked about the purpose, what it does is it begins to give us perspective because now we're looking for God to do something. And perspective means we're no longer living for ourselves and what we thought, but for God. And you will not be content once you belong to Christ until you've surrendered everything, until you are all in for Jesus Christ. Once that happens, your perspective is godly. You're focused on God and what He wants, and then your priority is God, which is our third P word we talked about. A priority, simply stated, is what matters to you first. Priority is what you actually do and what you actually will sacrifice other things for to keep that one thing priority. And once you understand your priority, last week we talked about position. And that's when you live for Christ, He begins to position you where He wants you to be effective for Him. And when you're positioned, you will move often with a bold and inspired action. It means you are all in and not a paycheck Christian is just doing it for the buy-and-buy buy street we're to the moment or later. It means that you're fully invested regardless of the cost, situation, or pain involved. Only God can position you to where He needs you to be. Now here's what's interesting. If you become a positioned Christian, God will use you to inspire others. When this happens, and I I want to share this with you because this is what happened for me. Back in June, I was a paycheck worker, and a lot of my life I've been what you call a paycheck Christian until October Fourth sermon, the Four Hearts began to work on me in this church. And October began to change my whole mindset and understanding. Now the positioning that God did for me was to see that I was being a paycheck player. I was not the kind of person that said, I'll do this regardless. I'll do this if was my motto. On June 11th, the word I began to see that, and I said, God, this is not an example of a pastor, let alone a Christian, that you would be a paycheck player barely doing minimum work and sometimes not even that. Just to take a paycheck and go home. What good is that? That doesn't inspire people. It doesn't make people go, I want to be just like that person when I grow up. Doesn't do that at all. Doesn't say, man, I wish I had their faith. Look at that person that's not inspired and say, "Why don't they get it? Why don't they get it? What's wrong with that person? Why aren't they stepping up in the faith? They're just so flat. They're nothing. God not using them. Usually, God doesn't use something because you're not on fire. A light draws people. So I was not inspiring at work. And on that day, I said, "God's got to use me, and I got to get out of the way." And God said very clearly in my heart. When you know I'm there and I can do something every moment at any time that a miracle can happen at any second and you're expecting it, I will use you because you're looking for me, not for what you want out of this. And so when that happened, as I shared a week later, on October 11th and 12th, I began to feel a presence. A presence. Inside. And it felt, as I shared before, like a balloon being blown up in my chest. I wasn't sure what it was. But it's new now. I know it's God. Because it's, it's, it's like, I feel it. I used to sing this song, and I don't know if you all heard it, I know always real because I can feel it in my soul. You ever heard that song? That particular song, when I was younger, I thought, well, I don't you know. Jesus is about feelings, about faith. It's about walking by sight, not what you feel. And I would preach that and talk about that. And then all of a sudden I started feeling God and I'm going, wait a minute. Now I understand what they're talking about, that you know His presence is there. And when that happens, something amazing happens. It is the same kind of presence that talks about in Deuteronomy of Exodus, and I'm going to share a couple of verses with you to talk about it, that the Israelites saw in the wilderness wandering. That presence was so an abiding presence. Forty years of presence. And guess what? Forty years. The two signs. A pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. It never left. That was God's presence with him. We don't have that sign anymore because it said that at one time when they entered into the new. Uh, promised land they no longer needed it God was in the ark present and so what happened though was for 40 years they had this but they still questioned whether God was real whether God was with them or not because Moses would leave but the pillar fire and the cloud were still there when Moses would go on the mountain and talk with God now think about this for a minute I'm thinking, if you said, pillar a fire by night and a cloud by day, you know God's there. You know it. But, at least I'm thinking, you know, all of a sudden there's a big old cloud in here, you go, hey, God's here, God's here, wow. But they're going, I don't know where God is. What? What was wrong with them? Well, it says they were hard hearted, stubborn people. As a matter of fact, If you look at Exodus chapter 13, you hear a little more of the story. And these folks are not a lot different than me. And probably not a lot different than you. In in chapter 13, it says, When Pharaoh had let the people go, this is verse 17, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people would change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. You know, we sometimes get a second guess, right? So God led the people around by way of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had placed the children of Israel under Solomon, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Succoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. Verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. Verse 22. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. It was always there. Yet, just a few weeks later, they're looking to worship a golden calf. Pillar of fire there. Cloud? I don't know where God is because Moses abandoned us. We, as believers, get the same mindset. I don't know where God is because things aren't working the way I expected. Oh, I know there's a presence of God here. Surely it's here. I know it is somewhere. But He's not doing it the way I want to. And He's not doing it the way they think we, He should. So let's try something different. Like that's a better plan. When our perspective is only God, those kind of thoughts don't happen. If we're a paycheck player, those thoughts happen because we're counting the cost of following Christ. If we're not all in for Christ, we have reservation on how far we will go. There's a difference between commitment and surrender. If you eat uh, bacon and eggs for breakfast, you'll know what I mean. A chicken commits eggs. A pig has to die to give you bacon. There's a difference, isn't there? That's a commitment and surrender breakfast. The pig makes the surrender. We as Christians like, well, what can I do? What can I give? All, all of me? Well, I don't know about that. Let me think about it. God doesn't ask you to think about it. He asks you to be about that, to live like that. Well, and, and here's what happens. They, they, they're just stubborn people. I, I would like to say, you know, that we never have this problem here. But unfortunately, we do in our world and in our walk. In Deuteronomy, all the way in chapter 1, something's happened. Israel refuses to enter into the promised land. And in chapter 1 in Deuteronomy, it says... In verse twenty-nine, do not this is when when they're talking about scouting the land and where they're gonna go in to the to the holy land and all this and claim the land. And they send some scouts out, and Caleb comes back and says, Great, few, great, 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 fertile, wonderful. And some other scouts come back and say, There's giants there, we can't beat these people. And so God says, Do not be terrified or afraid of them. That's those giants. The Lord your God who goes before you, He will fight for you according to all He did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son, and all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet for all that you did not believe the Lord your God, now listen to this, who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents, to show you the way you should go, in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. And the Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry and took an earth oath saying, Surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land of which I swore to give your fathers except Caleb. He shall see it. And to him and his children I am giving the land on which he walked because he wholly followed the Lord. He didn't look at the circumstances and say God can't do it. He said... Where I go, God goes. There's no enemy bigger than that, than God. No matter who's against me, no weapon form shall prosper. The enemy may raise up a flood, says the scripture, but he will raise a standard up against it. The enemy can't beat your God. He can beat you, but he can't beat your God. He can't even come close to even touching him. And we forget this. And so we have this attitude because we're individually unique that it's me against the enemy or against the world. Scripture all the time, we quote, Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He can. And He is greater as long as you allow Him to be the abiding presence inside of you. But some folks think if something's a threat, they'll cut it off, attack it, or try to remove and destroy that threat like it's an enemy. That attitude, when you look at it closer, comes from the sense of loneliness or woundedness that somebody's always trying to take what you have It's a place of pain and separation, loss. It tells us we feel alone in this world. In Genesis, it says it's not good for us to be alone. Not good at all. We need friends, relationships, connection, family, people who care about and love us. Here we find that. This helps in our journey called life. But a lot of people still don't think it's real. Still haven't seen it and connected in. They think, well, that's just something I do on Sunday morning. I'm done with it. That's my God time. This is church. (laughs) This is where you get your battery recharged, maybe. It's where you go out and get sent forth to do the work of the church. Not in here is the work of the church. This is a training ground. But when we begin to think that this is all about our relationship with God, And it doesn't matter about anybody else. We become what they call lone wolf Christians. Anybody know what a lone wolf Christian looks like? Let me share with you a little bit about that. A lone wolf person feels a sense of pride in their attitude and in their response to the world. I can handle this. I can do it on my own. But it's the wolf part that appeals. I'm the lone wolf. But Let me share with you a little bit more about a lone wolf, all right? You see, wolves travel in packs. And there's reasons for that. Number one, safety. Number two, they can defeat the larger uh, prey that they want to capture that a single wolf could not do. If there are smaller prey, a single wolf can defeat it. But those smaller prey are not the savory good stuff of life. As a group, They can attack the enemy, or if you will, what they're trying to kill to eat. And then, once they kill it, something happens. And maybe you understand this. But there's one particular wolf male and one particular wolf female. They are called the alpha male and the alpha female. When the food is scarce, they're the only ones that mate. When there's plenty of prey around, all wolves in the pack mate. The alpha male eats first. The alpha female eats second. The beta, that's B for us in English, or number two on the totem pole male, eats third. The third uh, wolf on the pecking order is the second male, has his job of doing some scouting and making sure the pack's in line. He's the second strongest male. All the way down it says they they have them Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta. All the way down to the Omega Wolf. The Omega Wolf gets the scraps. He's the last one. He's the Z in our dictionary. The Omega in the Greek dictionary. He's He's the Z Wolf. And this little guy is the runt. Because he can't beat anybody else up. But this little runt, when he doesn't get enough to eat... Because there's scraps, and that's it. Or maybe he smells the scent of a nice morsel of a lady in another pack. Or he thinks he's tougher than the male in another pack. He'll take off. He'll leave the safety and security of the pack out of necessity, or because it's important to find a mate. Or he thinks he can lead another pack. But this little runt now, listen to me, he leaves because he's hungry. And he can't find satisfaction where he's at because he doesn't have enough sustenance there. And so this little guy, literally a little guy, the runt of the litter usually, has none but the pickings. That's when food is scarce. When it's plentiful, wolves don't go off on their own very often unless it's small prey. And here's the problem. A lone wolf is in trouble from almost every predatory creature. He becomes the prey. There's no protection. Now here's another thing. The alpha wolf, the lead male in the pack, is the lead male because he has defeated or cannot be defeated by any other male in that pack. The other male wolves bow when he walks by. They give a submission pose because the king wolf is present. You ever get in your mind, I'm not going to do that. Why would I ever bow to anybody? I'm not going to bow to anybody. That's what a lone wolf gets in his mind and he leaves the pack. He doesn't want to be a part of it. He separates himself. But I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I thought, man, I'm a lone wolf. This is really cool. I'm a lone wolf. And then I realized the word lone means alone. Lonely. Lonesome. Isolated. Nobody around. Nobody around. I don't like that. Maybe sometimes when it's been noisy for a while, but I don't like isolation. And so, you got to wonder, don't you, why it is that there are lone wolf Christians who don't want to run with the fellowship of the believers that they've been called to when there's plenty to eat. And there's no pecking order. There's one male who's greater than the other, or one female is greater than the other. We're all in submission to Jesus Christ. So why would a lone wolf Christian not want to be a part of something where there's plenty to be had? We need companions to remind us of who we are, to affirm us, challenge us, and to laugh, cry with us. God hardwired you and me for relationships. We need that. And He hardwired us to connect with other people. You can't do that alone. In other words, something in this box is messed up when we are alone as compared to when we know Somebody is with us as a friend or a support. If you can think of some of the toughest times in your life, was it better to have it alone or with someone there? What's better? When you're hurting, when you're broken, when you've lost a loved one, do you want to do that alone or do you want to know that other people care too and cry with those who love you? It's about fellowship. God's trying to bind our hearts together. Sometimes He uses pain to do that. The pain isn't meant to drive us away. It's meant to draw us together. Some people think they're wired to be a lone wolf Christian. But they're missing something very crucial. God has created a need for Him. And He's created a need for other people in each of us. The Israelites knew they needed God to remind Him of His presence constantly. We're no different. We need an abiding reminder, this constant presence and abiding love. Endless love. We light the fourth candle. Tonight we'll light the Christ candle. The second song we sang was Emmanuel. God with us. Jesus Christ came from heaven to be like us. To say, you don't have to go through this by yourself. I am one with you. When the disciples heard Him say He's going to leave, they said, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to give you a comforter, the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit, and He will be with you forever to remind you that I'm real. (laughs) My favorite verse in the Scripture says that you will know that I'm real. In John 14, 21, Jesus says, I will show you who I am when you love like I love you. And the Holy Spirit helps us do that. That Holy Spirit is God's present reminder all the time in our lives. But we don't want to acknowledge it. Some people are afraid of the Holy Spirit. They talk about it and they say, wait a minute. Uh, you know, that's all that... Pentecostal, charismatic, you know, stuff, and I, I don't want to hear about that. It's not what it is. The Holy Spirit serves as a continuous nudge that we're not alone, and God is Emmanuel with you. Always. Otherwise, you're going to be just like the Israelites and start looking for golden calves. Scripture tells us God goes before us, He goes behind us, He goes with us. And on Calvary, He goes instead of us. Amen? This is what it says. He's our rear, regard, rear, rear guard, our re- reward, if you will. He's also our constant companion. We don't have a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night anymore. But God did give us the Holy Spirit as a burning fire within both night and day, you can feel God inside. It really happens. You can feel Him. You can know He's real. And you know what's interesting? The people who feel the most alone are the ones God is closest to. And so if you feel alone today, God is drawing very close to you right now. He says, a person who is alone or feels alone is living broken. Broken. And in Psalm 51 it says, God will never despise a broken heart. When we want to be alone, isolated, we're broken. This thing is all messed up because it's not desiring love to give and receive it. It just wants to be alone. That's broken. Your heart was made to love. If it's shut off from giving or receiving love for whatever reason, it's not serving its purpose, and you feel alone. It's running in that broken state, and all it's doing is moving blood through your body. You're existing, but you're not alive. The only thing that we have to offer God is our heart. Even broken, He wants it. Here's what God does. I love this. He will fill up your heart with Himself and restore it. But He can't do anything with it until you give it all to Him. He can't fix half a heart. You can't be all in and passionate about Jesus without your whole heart being in it. Your heart doesn't understand thought. This took me a while. I I didn't agree with this until God showed me this. Your heart doesn't understand thought. It feels. Your thinking doesn't know how to feel. Your brain has no feeling ability. It's your heart where your passion is. Now get this. Studies have shown, and there are visual (laughs) studies of this online, if you ever care to see them, of a brain that was exposed and gradually being removed from an animal. And the animal felt nothing. The brain has no feeling. So you can't think God and feel God. You have to feel God to feel God in your heart. The Holy Spirit comes to rest in you. And He doesn't come and fill your mind. He fills your heart. And when your heart's in tune with God, all of a sudden the stuff you think about doesn't make any sense anymore. God, why was I so afraid? That's what you'll say. Why didn't I believe? What's wrong with my way I was thinking? I don't know what was wrong. It's because you were trying to serve God in your mind and not your heart. It's with your heart. You believe unto Righteousness. That's your mind. And that's what we missed in the faith so often is His presence isn't in our thoughts, it's in our heart. It's in your heart where you believe and feel God. And if it doesn't work or your heart's broken or you're isolating, there's no access. God wants your heart. And once you give it to Him, He's going to fill it up and you'll feel the difference. You're going to find joy that you've lost in your life or maybe never had. The question is, what are you waiting for? Why would you want to wait to be truly joyful? The moment God gets your heart (laughs) from you and fills it is the moment everything changes. That's the moment when you go, wow, God, you were my priority and my thoughts, but now I feel you and, and I'm convinced. I believe. I know this is true. And it's not because I can explain it. It's because I know it's true with every fiber of my being that Jesus Christ is real. He is the Son of God. I've seen Him work in this place. I've seen the miracles happen. I've seen lives transformed even this week from the work in this church. I know. And I can't tell you how God does it because He doesn't do it with the way I think. His thoughts are higher than mine. But His heart He gives to me. And I can feel it. And so can you when it happens. How precious did that grace appear the hour I believed. With your mouth you confess, but with your heart you believe. With your mind you think about it. Some people miss it by 12 inches. (laughs) Some people say, man, that was funny, and they'll have a flat look on their face. We saw that last Sunday night. Liz Higgs said she was telling a story, and this, everybody's laughing but this one lady, and she comes up and says, that was the greatest, funniest thing I've ever heard, and she says, well, your face don't know it because your heart's not being allowed access to your emotions. We shut it down. We don't trust them. But when you believe, Oh, when you believe! Oh, when John Watt, when they were ready to pull that feeding tube, I, I had—I—I I, I couldn't say enough. I was up here that Wednesday, that Sunday. I'm—I'm I'm still amazed by uh, your aunt and what happened there. You just go, "Wow! Look what God did!" I, you know, this is great, and you're just excited. Because it's real. And you go, wow, well, God's doing stuff here. And people want to see it, and be a part of it. And this is great. Well, how come? I don't know. I just know that I know. <laughs> it goes beyond having to explain it to yourself to knowing it's true. Just as surely as a child knows that its parent loves them, how do you know? Because they do. That's their answer, because they love me, that's how I know. You don't know what your thoughts, you know it in your heart. And it's not an emotional feeling, it's the presence of God sitting right there telling you. Your mind can't explain this. Why? I don't know, but you'll know it's happened. Exactly what I'm talking about with the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day for the Israelites. Their minds saw that, but their heart didn't believe. That's a miracle right there that it happened for 40 years in a row. 40 years it moved when God wanted them to move and it scouted out places for them to camp and He moved them there and God's doing that and they're going, I don't know if God's real or not. This doesn't happen. But that's logic. It's got to get to your heart where it's stubborn and say, God, break me of my stubbornness and my will so that I can give you all I am. I'm tired of doing it my way. I don't want my way. You'll know when it happens it's not a temporary fix. God has done the work. And you know You'll never be the same, and the greatest part is you'll smile about it. I'm different. I'm telling you, on that day in June 11, I knew I needed something. God had to do a work, and when He began to do that work. He knew I needed His presence because I'm such a lone wolf sometimes, and that's not good. I don't want to tell people my hurt. I don't want to tell people my struggles. Oh, you're a pastor. You can't have those. Yes, you can. Believe it or not, all my nerve endings work and my feelings all work. I'm I'm flesh. All that stuff still works. Just have the call of God to ask me to speak and preach. Yeah. Yeah, I I can be broken. Been there. Have we all? The question is. What you do is your brokenness. And what do you do with it now? You take it directly to God and say, I know you love me. I know you want to restore me. And I'll let you have all of it. I don't want to do this alone. This, to me, the presence of God is the most important P word you cannot miss. If you don't believe God's with you on your side, why try? If you don't think God cares about you, if you don't think God can lift you up out of the brokenness, why try? Because it feels like you're worthless, like life doesn't matter. Why try? (coughs) But with the presence of God with you, in you, every moment you know God's real. You feel it in your heart. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. I know you. Know. I, know I know you. Know. There's a lot of people who know this. And a lot of folks are going, Well, I wish I could get that. You can't get that, you have to give it. <laughs> I have to give it all, and God will give you that. That's His promise to each of us. So, this morning, all I'm asking you this morning is one simple thing. Do you trust God enough to know that He came as a baby? to die for you. to live for you. to pour out all He has for you. And all these is that you give all yourself to Him to find the joy and peace in your purpose and passion and, and you'll be inspired, And your life will be amazing. You'll see God doing stuff around you you never even knew He was doing because He'll show it to you. You'll wake up each morning and greet the day and why? wow, it's another day. Can't believe it. Take hey, true story. I don't like this story. It's true. Every Saturday morning, um, with Solar Recovery, we have what's called Step Studies, and I'm in them. i Brian <coughs> Brad comes here, is in there, is the co-leader with me. One of the questions in there said this, What are some of the things that you've regretted in your past? Now, I've gone through several step studies, so I compare my answers after I've answered them to see them. And I want to tell you what my answer was in 2010. My answer to that I regret another day. Mired in depression. Broken. I regret I get another day, God. No. How's that inspiring? It's not. It's just putting in time till it's over. I don't want you to live like that, regretting you have to face another day with the stuff you got. I want you to wake up and say, God, it's another day. What are you gonna do? I want to see it, I want to be a part of it, I want to know it, I wanna feel it, I wanna tell others. <clears throat> you know my answer is now that question, what do I regret? It took fifty years? 30 years, you get it all the way. I regret that. wish I could have had someone say, Wake, Wake up! Wake up! Wake up! Wake up, sleeper. God will give you light. He will give you joy. You will be restored and you'll feel it. Why didn't he tell me? Why didn't he tell me? I'm waiting to tell you. It's real. It happens. It's happening here. And you're next in line if it hasn't. It can be today. And you'll have the greatest Christmas presence you've ever experienced. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much. took something that just kind of broken, not sure what it was all about and used it and it's something to do and you gave the spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing you and experiencing you and him, that's thought I'm asking if there's anybody here today listen, doesn't know that you begin to open their heart and pour yourself into them and say I'm here I'm real I'm here, I'm real, and I love you. And there's more to life than you know. And until that happens, Heavenly Father, keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. And do it some more. Heavenly Father, may we all always be full of you and always hungry for more of you. This is my prayer this holiday season. He's fully day that we all be full of you and hungry for more. Amen.